Well, if you will, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. With this being the last Sunday of 2018, and as we have completed our celebration and worship over the birth of our Savior, this is the time of year that churches, many churches don't even have service. I saw one mega church uh, in North Carolina advertise that no worship services will be happening this weekend whatsoever. And they encouraged you to worship at home, which I think is a good idea to encourage worshiping at home. But it's also, I think, more important to gather as God's people. And as we begin to think about the new year coming, it's good to ponder and stop and think, what does the church look like? And especially for us uh, coming into this new year, we have completed our first year in a few months, and a couple of months, a few weeks, uh, as a church, and we are still, uh, still building. We've, I think we've laid some good foundation with the Lord's help. But uh, this next year, I think, is looking good. And it's a good, it's a good time to stop and look at the God's Word and to see how God addresses His church and how to be the church. So if you can, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writing to the churches in Ephesus. He reminds them by this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let's pray. Father God, You have called us together to be Your church here. The very idea of the word church means those who assemble, those who gather. But we gather in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We gather because He has redeemed us through His blood. And Father, as, as Sovereign Grace Baptist Church looks to a new year, I pray, God, that you would work in each and every individual and each and, indiv- each and every family here, that you would knit us together in Christ to be your church. Remind us today, God, through your word, where our foundation rests. 
Please remind us today, God, exactly what you plan for your church. Not as a second thought, not as a plan B, but as the very beginning of time, you ordained all of this to happen. And so, God, teach us how we fulfill your covenant. Teach us how to be your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Please have a seat. I don't know about you, but it seems like, well, there are always these self-help programs for churches. I don't know about uh, if you've been to any kind of church conference or if you've watched any kind of Christian media, there is, or maybe even gone to the bookstores, there's all these self-help books, right, on how to be the hot new church, how to, how to grow your membership, all those kind of things, how to, how to be relevant to the people. It's a market, it's a business. I mean, millions upon millions of dollars are spent on books on how to build churches Millions upon millions are spent on leadership material for, church, for pastors and for church leaders to learn how to be leaders. Program this, program that conference speakers will tell you and motivate you for a certain price how to be the greatest organization in your community. But God's church, I think, begins with something much better and actually begins in the right here In the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he reminds us of what the church looks like. When we look at the letter uh, to the Ephesians, Paul is writing to a, a group of churches in and around Ephesus, which would be near modern day Turkey today, called Asia, the introduction of Asia from the Mid East. And Paul had a, a tender heart for these churches. In order to understand what Paul is writing about in in the letter of Ephesians, I want us to go back to the book of Acts. If you will, flip over to Acts chapter 20 for me. We'll look here at at Paul's introduction to these churches because when we come back uh, to the uh, second chapter of Ephesians, we're going to unpack more of what Paul, how he feels about this church. In Acts chapter 19 and 20, we read here of Paul's establishing the churches in Ephesus. We read how he comes to Ephesus, how he begins to preach in the synagogues, and he, 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 he's introduced to people there in Ephesus who are teaching a lot. When we look in actually Acts chapter 18, there was a, a man who, who was very eloquent, it says, by the name of Apollos. And he was teaching a lot of things. He loved God, but he was teaching the wrong gospel. But he was taught with genuine kindness by Priscilla and Aquila. And they taught him the correct way. And then he began to teach the way of God more accurately, it says in chapter 18. And then Apollos becomes a very great teacher in the church. And in in chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus and he actually begins to meet people. He, he goes to the synagogue. That was, this was Paul's mode of action. Whenever he would come to a new community, he would always go to the synagogue first. Generally, wherever you would go in the Roman world, uh, there was a local synagogue, no matter where they were, no matter how small the village was, there was a small group, a remnant of, of Israel, of the Jewish tradition in the synagogue somewhere. And that's where Paul would go first. 
And he had the same thing here in Ephesus. He would come to Ephesus and he would teach in the synagogue. Matter of fact, in chapters 19 and 20, it says that Paul taught in the synagogue for three months. And he would introduce the gospel there. And as the gospel is prone to do, it it stirs up trouble. It it offends those who want nothing to do with God whatsoever. And of course, those who are entrenched in the synagogue didn't want to hear this gospel, didn't want to hear this new message. And so there's a riot in Ephesus. Paul stirred up a riot just by preaching the gospel. Think about that. But after he is thrown out of the synagogue and he realizes there's nothing more he can do there, Paul withdraws because some believe what believe the message that Paul preached and some opposed it. And so what does Paul do? He withdraws from the synagogue and he actually goes to the local school there in Ephesus, or you could say the local university, and he begins to teach there for two years. Anyone who would come and listen to his lectures, he would, they would come and at the local university. Paul would just sit there and just talk and ask questions and answer questions about the gospel. He did this for two years, and he built a church in and around Ephesus. When the synagogue rejected the gospel, when God's people, the children of Israel in the synagogues, rejected the words of Paul, He withdraws to the local university. He goes to the secular place. He goes to a public building, a public university, and begins to teach. And he builds a church. Isn't that amazing? So in Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul, he speaks words of encouragement in Acts chapter 20 to the elders of the Ephesian churches. Acts chapter 20 is actually Paul's farewell to the Ephesian church. He, at this point, because of all the trouble he's stirred up, he's arrested and he's on his way to Rome. <laughs> he, he knows that he's not going to come back. And he gathers all of the elders of the churches there in Ephesus. You know, he'd been working for two years with them. So he's established a good foundation here with leadership and he calls the elders together. In chapter 20 he says, I am leaving and, I, and you will not see me again. But I'm going to... I hand to you this precious baby called the church. He's talking to the elders in Acts chapter 20, and he charges the elders with the care of the church. Look in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul, speaking to the elders, says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Verse 28 here of Acts chapter 20 is very important for us as we move back over into the letter to the Ephesians. Paul, in in this one verse, sums up exactly the beginnings of the church. The foundation for God's church is that which God Himself obtained through His own blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. So where does the church begin? The church begins with the blood of Christ. It's that simple. The church does not start because a group of people decided to form a club. The church did not start because a bunch of people made decisions for Jesus and said, okay, when we made a decision for Jesus, now what do we do? Okay, maybe it's a good thing to get together and sing a few hymns and, and just look like a church. Maybe then we'll figure it out. That's not how the church begins. The church begins here by what God Himself has obtained. Do you ever ponder that? Why are we gathered in this building at this moment on this Sunday morning 
Is it because it's the cultural thing to do? Or is it because God Himself has obtained us? What does it mean to obtain something? It means to actually grab it and take possession of it. How do you, how do you own something? How do you, how do you actually possess a thing? You actually have to be intentional. Number one, you have to desire it. And number two, you actually have to make efforts to go and get it, whether that means get a job so you can earn the money to buy it, or to actually work and and actually physically grab it and get it for yourself and take it home. This is what God has done in the church. God himself has obtained the church through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, something that he has done. You can underline that passage right there. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. All of this to kind of lay some groundwork here as Paul, what we see here in Acts chapter 19 and 20 is Paul's passion for the church. Because Paul recognizes that the church is, is precious and that the church is worthy of caring for. Because it's not something that man has established. It is what God himself has done. That's what makes the church precious. Now flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesian churches. I would argue this letter comes much later than what we just read in Acts 19 and 20. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church as as a father would write to his children knowing that there are things that they need to be encouraged in. There is encouragement here in this letter to the Ephesians. Chapters 1 and 2 of this letter, Paul reminds the church of the source of their salvation. If you want to understand the beginnings of salvation and how salvation works, just read Ephesians chapter 1. (laughs) And it's real simple. In verses uh, 4 and 5 of chapter 1, here's what Paul says. Actually, begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Where does the church begin? Number one, it begins right here, that God Himself predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. God knew this would happen long before we did. God established salvation and established the church long before anyone even knew what a church was. Wow. You get that? Long before we were ever saved, God knew that He loved us and God knew that He would redeem us. That is where our salvation comes from. God chose us because He loved us. God chose us to adopt us through Jesus Christ. You've got to really love somebody to adopt them. Adopted kids come with a lot of baggage, whether they acknowledge it or the parents acknowledge it. Any time that you are adopted into a group, into a family, whether it's a formal adoption or just you're welcomed into some kind of a group, right? they love you for who you are. They love you for your warts. They love you for your baggage. They love you for all your, your quirkiness. 
They love you and they know that you're not blood, but they love you and they bring you in and make you their family. And that's stronger than blood. And this is what God preordained. He predestined before the beginning of time that through Jesus Christ, I would adopt you because I love you. I want to make you my children. And why is this happening? It's because according to this, according to the purpose of God's will and to the praise of His glorious grace, the beginnings of salvation are through God's love and Jesus Christ alone, period. Because God chooses us. Ephesians chapter 1 is a great chapter to remind yourself of where to sal- how does salvation occur. Nowhere in Ephesians will you see the language of anyone making decisions for Jesus Christ. It's, that's language that you will never hear me say. I have learned over the years as a pastor that whenever someone makes a decision for Jesus Christ, they are saving themselves and it's not the blood of Jesus doing it. No matter how sincere they may feel, no matter how wonderful that they may, they may have this tingly feeling at vacation Bible school or at a, or at a revival meeting or something, and they come and they react to their emotions and their feelings and they're going to make a decision for Jesus. You don't see that language here. The language in Scripture is that our salvation is from God. He loved us enough to adopt us. Salvation is God grabbing us, obtaining us for Himself. That's salvation. And that's the beginning of the church. That's the foundation of the church. And so what is the church here? According to Paul in Ephesians, is the church is actually the fullness of Christ. The church is the, the, the actual full uh, culmination of God's plan for redemption that began long before Adam and Eve ever fell from in the garden. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, we looked at this a few weeks back. The very beginning of the Christmas story began in the garden when Adam and Eve fell from grace. And it was at that time God curses the serpent, but He looks at Adam and Eve, and he, he, of course he, he does curse them as well, but in that curse He also speaks a blessing. There will come a son who will crush the head of the serpent. God knew long before what would happen in the church. So what is this church that we are part of, folks? Not just Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, but the church universal. When I say that, the church throughout time, throughout the world, past, present, and even future. What is the function of the church? The church is the fulfillment or the fullness of Christ evident in the world right here. We are are the evidence of God's kingdom on this planet. Amen? Or does that scare you to death? Right? Because we think about church as this, this thing that we obtain, that we possess. That's my church. I've been a deacon there for 30 years, bless God. Right? You can't tell me. This is the way we've always done it. Right? Or God forbid we go up against the church ladies who've actually been running the church for 50 years. Who actually tell the deacons how to run the church. Woo! It's not our church, folks. The church began long before Jesus ever came on the scene. 
God knew long before how He would fulfill this promise of salvation, this covenant that He would make. And of course, He begins this covenant, God begins this covenant by calling Abraham and establishing a covenant with him to establish a nation that then would culminate in another covenant with David as the king of Israel. Through David would come Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. And then once Jesus arrives and, and, and fulfills what, he, what his mission was to be, to fulfill salvation for all through the, his blood and his resurrection, now the church is established. Now look here in chapter 2, verse 8. This is the very foundation of salvation here as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The church is the result of Christ's plan of fulfillment of God's covenant. We are saved as a gift of God through faith. Not through works. Not through a decision. Not through a church committee. Not through our parents who were church members. We are saved by faith through Jesus Christ and His blood. That's the foundation of all salvation and the foundation of all of the church. We are a gift. We have received a gift. And we are actually, a church, a gift to the world. Now Paul reminds the church in Ephesus of where they've come from. Paul now reminds the church in Ephesus of their purpose. Look here in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. What's happening here is Paul is now laying the groundwork. He's writing to the Gentiles who have just come into the church. And there may have been some teaching here in Ephesus that those who were Gentiles are not truly part of the church because they were not part of God's chosen people, Israel. And here Paul corrects that error. Look here in verse 11, chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. You see, the Gentiles here were those who were never welcomed into Israel. and They were not welcomed into the temple. They were not welcomed into God's people. They were looked down upon because they did not have God's covenant, His promise. Now, next week, I will be um, in another country. be there for about 12 days. And in that country... The, the brothers and the sisters there, when they gather as the church, they are, they are a minority. I mean, less than 1% in the entire country are Christian. But think about this. These brothers and sisters, when they gather together in the church, they talk about the Gentiles. And they use the word Gentile there to refer to those who are not saved, those outside of the church. They use that term, the Gentiles, 
it, it, it's not a separation as much as, as listen, there are so, that we are here together as the church, but there are those who are outside of the church. They are the Gentiles. We need to go get them. But, that, but, but these folks that I'm going to go work with next week, these brothers and sisters, they, they understand very clearly there are those who are in the church and there are those who are not. There are those who are under the covenant of Jesus Christ and there are those who are not. And those who are not under the blood of Jesus Christ, they're called Gentiles. Same idea here that Paul is addressing. But what is Paul also trying to do? He's also showing here that through the blood of Christ, even though there are Gentiles, there is also harmony under the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church here, verse 13, that that the church was bought with the blood of Christ. Look here in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How were you brought near? By the blood of Christ. Think about this. Those Christians in this room right now, think about, honestly, your conversion. That, that, that moment where you were awakened to the reality of your sin and that moment that you understood that you needed forgiveness and you asked for that forgiveness and you know without a shadow of a doubt God poured out His forgiving love upon you. Did that happen because you wanted it to happen? Just, just ask yourself. If it's been a while, try to think back. My own conversion experience was real profound. The Lord really... I'll only describe it this way. It's almost like there were these hands around my throat because I was trying to sing in a church. Actually, it was a church camp. And I was singing these words and suddenly it was almost like I couldn't sing anymore. It was almost like something was stopping me from singing. Because... Whatever this was, and I see it now as God's hand, literally around my throat, getting my attention. Not, not killing me. But He told me in my spirit, He said, you're singing words that you don't mean. And He convicted me right then. And He told me how much my sin hurt Him. And He told me right then what it would take to be reconciled back into His graces. And I just surrendered. There was absolutely no decision that I made. There was absolutely nothing that I tried to do. It was just God's Holy Spirit moving upon me and showing me my sin and then showing me the avenue to forgiveness and repentance. That's what we see here in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We don't come near to the throne of God by ourselves. It is impossible. We are only brought there by the blood of Christ. We are led there by the Holy Spirit that draws us to understand that Jesus' blood washes our sin clean. That's it. Now here in this in this text here, Paul is reminding and pointing out the problem in the Ephesian church because there were those who were of the nation of Israel, who were from the tradition of Israel, and those who were Gentiles. This is in the, the, the ancient Roman Empire where you had a lot of diversity of culture here. You had a lot of diversity of trade and languages and religions and things were interacting even in the outskirts of the empire in the, in the smallest of the places. 
And he's pointing out here that you have God's chosen Israel, and then you have those Gentiles who are the outsiders. But through Christ, these two are now united in harmony through Jesus Christ. That's what we see here in verse 11 and 12. That even though you Gentiles were outside of the covenant, even though you Gentiles had no hope, it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that you are brought near. Wow. See, there was this hostility here between Israel and the Gentiles. Just like, and you could say that that was perhaps even an imagery of the, of the hostility between God and sinful man. Is there a hostility, a wall that is dividing you from God's presence? Is there something that you say, Dear God, I want to be near you, but I can't. You're so distant and so far from me. You see, whenever somebody comes to the point of conversion, that's what the Holy Spirit is convicting them of. Waking them up to the reality that there are two people. There are those who are of God's chosen, of God's family. There are those who are outsiders who are not. And there's this wall of hostility that Paul mentions here in verse 14 and 16. Look here in verse 14. Here's what Paul says. Speaking about Jesus himself. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's the foundation of the church. Through the salvation of Jesus Christ, there is this reconciliation between a fallen world and a holy creator. God Himself, from the very beginning of time and before time, had a plan to reconcile heaven and earth again. Because he did, God did not create this world as broken as it is. Why would, why would a perfect and holy God create something flawed? He created the world perfect. There was harmony between God and His creation. God walked in the garden with His people. But it was through the, the rebellious, sinful selfishness of Adam and Eve that broke that relationship. And God had every right to continue that brokenness and just wipe the slate clean. But in His love, He said, I want to redeem this. I want to fix this. And so He had a plan, not only for salvation of individuals, but salvation of the world through His chosen people. Church. That's who we are, folks. You see, strangers and aliens may be outside of God's covenant, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, strangers and aliens are always welcome to dwell in God's house. Paul Atkins read for us Psalm 15. And Psalm 15 this morning reminds us that there, that David himself, as he wrote this psalm, he was crying out, seeking who, those who would dwell in God's holy temple. Who would come and dwell in God's tent on His holy hill? Who is it that comes? It is those that God loves and protects and draws to Him. That's what we're seeking. See, now look here in verse 19. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul continues here, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Psalm 15 is being answered here in Ephesians chapter 2. Who dwells in God's house? It's those who are called to be fellow citizens. Those who once were strangers and aliens are called in and welcomed in as fellow citizens with the saints. To be fellow citizens and members of God's house. Adopted into His family. Considered part of the whole. And this household of God is built in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Paul's talking about the Old Testament here. The Old Testament prophecies are pointing to the coming of the Messiah, coming of Jesus Christ. It was the Old Testament prophets and the apostles who actually laid the foundation for the building of the church. And on that foundation, they laid a cornerstone of Jesus Christ Himself to hold up the entire thing. You see, it's the cornerstone of the foundation that locks it all into place. All of the pressure goes into the cornerstone. And that's Jesus. So, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, who are we next year in 2019? Do we have a foundation built on the prophets and the apostles? Do we have a foundation where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone? Do we have a foundation built on God's Word? Or are we just gathered here to check off the box on Sunday morning? That's what we've got to really pray about for 2019. I think God's got a lot in store for us. I think there's a lot coming. But in order for God to build His church, it requires that His children, those that He has bought through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are obtained by His blood, and we now are the church. We are the church that Christ bought. See, God's house, God's church, He's made up of those in covenant with Him. What is a covenant? That's, 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 a covenant is stronger than a contract. Because lawyers can break a contract. I mean, there's not a single contract that you sign that's binding. You realize that? You could sign a contract to buy a house. There's always a way to get out of it. You can sign a contract to do anything, a business, whatever, but there's always loopholes to get out of it. A covenant has no loophole. A covenant is stronger. And that's what God has done with us. He has called us. He has bought us with the blood of Christ. He has drawn us to Himself. We don't come to God on our own. I don't know about you, but like I said, like I shared just briefly my, my conversion. Just I didn't give you all the details, but it was made very clear to me at that moment that God was doing something. doesn't mean I've been perfect the whole time. I've, I've gone up and I've gone down and I've gone this way and that way. And, but all along the way, God, who bought me in the very beginning, is drawing me back to the center. Amen? And that's what He's going to do for us. The American theologian Carl F.H. Henry, you may not know who he is, but he... 
He was the founding editor of Christianity Today, the magazine publication. Also, one of the founders, founding presidents of uh, Fuller Theological Seminary out in California. But uh, Carl, H., Carl F. H. Henry has been called uh, by anyone outside of the U.S. the greatest American theologian ever, next to Jonathan Edwards. Here's what Carl Henry says about the church. He says, in an otherwise doomed world, the church refashions male and female, bond and free, Jew and Gentile, into the new society in the making. In other words, what he's saying is that in this body of humanity, there is a kingdom that takes visible form. That's what God is doing through His Son, Jesus Christ. This idea of God sitting on a throne up there somewhere out there in the universe and we don't know where he sits and he's just looking down upon us as like we're just little pawns on a game board is a false idea. You know what the church is? The church is God himself building a new society, making a new society of his design through the blood of Jesus Christ here for everyone to see. That's the church. We're not here to feed ourselves, even though there is something important about being spiritually fed in church. But we're not here just to get fed. We're here to build a kingdom for the world to see. And we are not making the kingdom in our own design. God Himself has a plan and God Himself is putting it together and we are privileged to be those pieces to the puzzle. We are the church. We are the kingdom of Christ in bodily form for the world to see. And in the very beginning... This church is rooted in divine revelation and it's nourished and fed by something that is clearly supernatural, something that is real and beyond us, but it is centered on Jesus Christ Himself and the Holy Spirit. So what do we look for in 2019, folks? I am praying that God Himself would draw those to us that He desires to be a part of this church. And how's God going to do that? He's going to do two things. He's going to use you, He's going to use me in our spheres of influence to be lights of Christ. He's also going to, through the Holy Spirit, start working on the hearts and the souls of, of individuals and in families. And He's going to start convicting them and, and, and pleading with them and calling them back to Him through the blood of His Son. And what is beautiful about all that, folks, is that we get to participate. You and I can't save a single person. I don't care what the Romans rolled checkoff list is, and it's a great thing. It's, it goes through Scripture. It's wonderful. It helps us point through Scripture what the path to salvation is. But that's not, that's not the self-help book to salvation, folks. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ Himself. We are privileged to be a part of the process. And so I, my prayer for 2019 is that would happen. Secondly, I, my prayer for 2019 is that we as a church 
Not only would we draw more people in, but I, I think it's time for us to be more, more, founda- more, more established, have a stronger foundation in this community. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, we are blessed to be using this building. We have borrowed this space. And Hooper and Huddleston Funeral Home has been very generous to us. David and Jill Horner, who run that company, run that business, they have been very kind to us. But I think there comes a point of any church, anybody, if you know, there comes a point of maturity where we need to start owning something. Does that mean that we own property? I don't know. Does that mean that we, we, have, uh, we, we, we move into a new phase of where we use this building more? Whatever that looks like. We're, we're starting to lay, take those steps. I'm, I'm, I'm already having those conversations. What does 2019 look like? We'll pray for it. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. The words of Your servant Paul remind us of the value of Your church. Your church is made up of those that You have redeemed, those that You have called into covenant relationship. And so, God, I pray that those of us in this room who do know that peace of forgiveness and we have been made new in Christ, dear God, that You would use us in peace to draw people to You. I pray for Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, Lord, that You would see us in, with a light of favor Dear God, that you would look upon us with kind eyes and that you would hear our prayers. But dear God, that you would also knit us together through the blood of Christ in the way that you design. And I pray, God, that many around us would see that. But more importantly, they would see your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us opportunity, I pray, for us to tell the story of how Christ changed us. Give us opportunity to share with joy the the glory of the salvation that only Jesus Christ could provide. And may that message and that message alone, dear Lord, draw people in to Your kingdom. Use us, I pray, but also strengthen us and, and Provide the way for us to be used. This is a new year coming, Father, with new beginnings and a new time to start over. Let it start off well on the right step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.